Welcome to the Nimrod Outdoors podcast, where we challenge and equip men, husbands, and fathers to become the spiritual leaders of the home. Let's dive right in. Welcome to the Nimrod Outdoors podcast. Who is Nimrod Outdoors anyways? We are a nonprofit ministry that focuses on educating and equipping men to accept and understand their biblical role as a spiritual leader of their home. Through this podcast, our 30-day devotional, The Hands of a Warrior, and physical men's events, we are devoted to encouraging men through the Word of God. We have a heart for the family and believe that it's the man's job to spiritually lead his family through his words, actions, and personal relationships with God. To learn more about Nimrod Outdoors, please visit nimrodoutdoors.com or search for Nimrod Outdoors Ministries on Facebook or Instagram. You can find these links in the podcast notes below. Thanks so much for tuning in today, and we hope you enjoy today's podcast. Well, what's going on, guys? This is M.A. Dozier with another Nimrod Outdoors podcast, and uh, today I want to dive into Matthew chapter 7 verses 21 through 23. Now, if you've listened to this podcast before, um, you know that this is not a new scripture to the podcast. Um, This is a scripture in which uh, I base my life on. Um, It uh, is something I speak about a lot because, to be honest with you, and it wrecks my soul on a daily basis. Um, and so I'm still wrestling with it. And But I think the deeper and deeper we dive into this, it brings more and more understanding into who we are and who God created us to be. And ultimately, what is God's expectation of us? Um, and ultimately, what did God create us for and to do? Um, and it really confronts, in my opinion, the American Christian culture of its complacency uh, and its uh, ability to just uh, wipe over or just skim over uh, the truth of why we cre- why we are created and what we are called to be in Christ. Um, and it also uh, really lays on the table what we as men have been failing at. Uh, for decades and decades and decades and centuries, um, and how deceptive the devil can be in creating lies that tell us, oh, we're good enough. Um, uh, Let's dive right in. And it says, the title, uh, I read out of the ESV, and the title of this section in uh, Matthew chapter 7, it says, I never knew you. And so in verse 21, Jesus himself is speaking. Um, and he's talking, uh, talking to a group of people and he says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So let's dive right in and let, let's really understand what Jesus is trying to say here. Um, and this, again, this scripture wrecks my soul every time because, you know, I think a lot of times as Christians and as believers um, and as people that claim to have Christ in our life, um, we are inside uh, the kingdom looking out and we look at culture and we look at people that are non-believers and and we're like man look at them man they need Jesus they need this but Jesus in this passage is not talking to 
culture. He's not talking to non-believers. He's not talking to people that uh, don't believe in him. He's actually talking to those that, quote unquote, would believe and claim to be saved. Um, And he says that with, you know, basically he leads into that with saying, uh, on that, on verse 22, it says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And so what he's saying is these people, why would a non-believer say that? A non-believer wouldn't say that. A non-believer is going to stand before the throne room of God and be like, oh my goodness, you're real. Uh, but these people that Jesus is talking about are people that acknowledge God is real acknowledge Jesus is real, acknowledge that Jesus died on the cross and acknowledge that he was born of a Virgin Mary and that he lived a perfect life and that he died and rose on the third day and that he holds uh, our sins, uh, holds the keys to death, hell and the grave. And so this is what, man, this is what really hits me hard is if these people acknowledge all that and the foundation of my faith for 19 years was just believe those things that I just said and you're saved, but yet Jesus is sitting here and these people are doing things for Jesus. They are doing things for the kingdom. I mean, have any of y'all seen someone cast out a demon? I know I haven't. That's if we, if I saw someone cast out a demon, I'd be like, Oh my goodness, the Holy spirit is so far in them that it is crazy. You know, it says that they prophesied in his name. They did mighty works in his name. Like they were saying, we did this in your name. And then it says, and Jesus says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And man, I wrestle with this. I wrestle with it with my own life. Um, But I think it comes back to where Paul said, we need to put ourselves to the test. Um, And one thing that I know to be true is a large majority of the American populace, and this is starting to wane, this is starting to fade, but, you know, in the 50s all the way until mid-80s, mid-90s, the major majority of the American populace claimed to be Christian. They claimed Christ with their mouth. They acknowledged him as Lord and Savior. But what I find interesting, and when we really dive into scriptures and what Jesus is calling us to be and to do, he doesn't just call us to claim him or acknowledge him as Savior. He calls for us to follow him as Savior. See, when he went to the disciples, he didn't just say, hey, acknowledge me as Lord. No, he didn't even say they had to acknowledge him as Lord. All he said was, come follow me. It's repeated over and over and over in scripture of where he just plainly said, come follow me. And the truth of the matter is, is a lot of people did follow him, but then it got hard. And when it got hard, they left. And yet there were still some people left. I mean, there's an interaction of, you know, Jesus basically telling this large group of quote, what the Bible says is disciples. He tells them, hey, if you're going to follow me, you must drink of my blood and, and eat my flesh and a large, like thousands of these quote unquote disciples were like, this is too hard. We're out. And they just left. And so they might have still acknowledged him as Lord, but they weren't willing to follow him. And I, you know, in the account, Jesus then looks at Peter and says, are you want to leave too? And Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where do we want to, where are we going to go? Like we have given you everything. And so what Peter acknowledged in that moment was that him and the people that stayed, him and the 12 disciples were 100% percent 
all in, not just with their words, but with their life and their pursuit after Jesus. Whereas these other people that quote unquote, the Bible calls disciples were just merely giving lip service to the gospel of Christ. They wanted to hang around Jesus as long as, as it was beneficial to them, as long as they got something out of it, as long as, you know, they liked, they liked the notoriety and the, the fame that came with walking with Jesus. Um, you know, I can imagine people coming up to me like, oh, you know, you know, this man named Jesus, like, you know him. And they'd be like, yeah, well, I know him. I walk with him. I, you know, I do this, I do that. But in, ultimately they were in it for selfish ambition. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to point out here is that not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, how is that possible? Because scripture says, if we just confess with our mouth that he is Lord, then we will be saved. But the problem we don't understand is, is what comes out of our mouth actually has to come from our heart. And if all we are ever doing is giving head knowledge and or acknowledgement that he is the king, an acknowledgement that he is the savior, but we are not willing to submit our lives and surrender to him. Man, we look, here's the beauty of the grace of the gospel and the beauty of the grace of Jesus is that even a person that does not have the Holy Spirit in them can just by invoking the name of Jesus can do amazing things because the power is in the name of Jesus. It's not in them. It's not in how holy they are. It's not in how devout they are. The power comes from the name of Jesus. And that's why, you know, they said we cast out demons in your name. And so a lot of times we look at that. And I know I have looked at it and be like, man, they casted out demon. They must have been super spiritual. They must have been so in touch with who Jesus was that 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 they could cast out demons. But the more and more I dive into it and the more I dive into scriptures, what I realize is it's not about us individually. It is all about Jesus. And because they verbally said the name of Jesus, it brought invoked so much fear into that demon in which he obeyed because he left because it was Jesus power in the name of Jesus. Yet we read this scripture and I think in culture today, we would look at it and be like, man, that person's holy. It has nothing to do with that person has everything to do with Jesus. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to get here is that these people in which are going to stand one day before the throne and be like, Jesus, did we not do this for you? Did we not do all this, you know, you know, works and casting out demons and prophesying? Did we not do it for you? Really? And what he's saying is you didn't do it for me. You did it for you and for your pride and for your own selfish gain and your own selfish ambition. And you just verbally wanted to say this. You wanted to act the part. You wanted to acknowledge me as Savior. But when it got hard and I actually asked you to do something and come follow me, you didn't do it. And so ultimately, it's not about us acknowledging Jesus. It is about us surrendering to him in full obedience. And what does that obedience look like? It looks different for every single person. And so I've, I've mentioned this on this podcast before, like what Jesus is asking me personally to do as M.A. Dozier may not be what he's asking you to do. And so we each individually have to sit at feet of Jesus and be obedient to what he is asking us to do on a daily basis, not just in surrendering, not just in acknowledging him as Lord, like that is the first step of obedience is acknowledging him as Lord. But then on a daily basis, we get up and we sit down. And we're like, all right, Jesus, Jesus. 
this is what I had planned today, but I need you to direct me. And if he directs you in a certain way, we need to be obedient in that. I remember I was just having a conversation with a good buddy of mine. He's in college. Um, and man, the Lord has been working on him in amazing ways. Um, and man, he's been doing some awesome things for the kingdom. He's gone on mission trips. He's gone overseas. He has a huge heart for missions. And he came back from his last mission trip. And I said, man, what's a, what's next for you? Um, and kind of down and out and despondent. He goes, man, I guess, I guess I'm going back to school for a semester. And I said, okay, what's wrong with that? And he said, well, man, I just feel like I need to be out on the mission field. I need to be pushing forward the gospel of Christ. Um, and I said, I, I told him, I said, man, I said, let me ask you a question. I said, did, did God tell you to go overseas to do mission work? And he was like, without a doubt. And I said, were you obedient in that? And he said, absolutely. I said, and now in this moment, maybe he is telling you to go back to school for a semester and you need to be obedient in that. Because our obedience is not reflective of what we enjoy doing and not enjoy doing. And so we always like this mountain high experience. We always like to be on the mountaintop. We always like to be doing these crazy, awesome things for Jesus. But ultimately, we are just to be obedient. And so in his life, he needed to be just as passionate and just as zealful for the obedience of going back to school in which something he probably hates as he was when he was going overseas and quote unquote changing lives for the gospel of Christ, because that is what God had asked him to do. And so as men, we need to be not just acknowledgement of the, of Jesus and who he is and what he has done, but we need to surrender our lives and be obedient in that, in that facet. But I want to give a little bit of an analogy because, um, you know, again, like these people thought that they were saved. They thought they were with Jesus, and yet on the day of judgment, and man, it just puts a pit in my stomach to even say this, on the day of judgment, they lived their entire life thinking, man, one day when I get to heaven, one day when I get to heaven, one day when I get to heaven, and then their time comes, and they stand before the throne of judgment, and Jesus casts them away into the fiery hell because they completely missed the point. Man, like, you want to talk about gut-wrenching. And so, here, here's an analogy I have for you guys. Okay, so I grew up, uh, I grew up in Atlanta, and so sports teams in Atlanta, uh, especially in the '90s, were pretty good with the Atlanta Braves. I was also played baseball all the way through college, so baseball is my sport. So if you don't like baseball, sorry, that's just what I know, and that's the analogy I'm going to use. Um, but hopefully, this can kind of bring home uh, the point I'm trying to make. <clears throat> And so if you go to a Braves game, uh, generally outside the stadium or even inside the stadium, definitely, um, you can buy a Braves jersey, right? You can buy it. Um, and I think now you could even get it customized with your own name on the back. So I could get a what they call an authentic Braves jersey, and I can get my name put on the back just like any player. And so it will say Dozier across the back. Um, and I go to the games and I could celebrate. And here's the deal. When I grew up, I remember every time I went over to my grandparents, man, the Braves game was on. It was a pastime. It was something that we enjoyed doing. I can remember driving down the road with my dad, having the Braves game on the radio. Um, you know, I can remember times of, uh, you know, Fred McGriff and Andrew Jones and Greg Maddox and Tom Glavin um, and Chipper Jones and, um, you know, all these great names that came through the Braves organization. Um, but, you know, 
they were great in their division, but they had a hard time closing on the World Series. And so I remember when they won the World Series in in 1995, um, I remember I was a young kid. Um, I was like seven years old, six, seven years old. And uh, I remember, man, we were jumping for joy. It was amazing. And I remember for that Christmas, my uncle had bought me a massive Atlanta Journal-Constitution printout of basically the dog pile on the mound um, after they won the World Series. Um, and we, I had it hanging up in my uh, in my room. And, man, it was amazing. Like Braves, Braves country has been embedded into who I am and my DNA. Um, but at the same time, I'm not a huge sports fan. And I love watching I love watching sports. I love watching baseball, but I don't particularly have a team. Um, you know, if if I'm not I love the Braves, don't get me wrong, but if I'm watching TV and there's a game on and say it's the Angels and uh the Texas Rangers, I'll watch it because I love baseball. But the Braves kind of have a special place in my mind, but there are guys and there are people that I've known growing up that man are so enthralled with the Braves organization in which when I have conversation with them, you know, they talk about um, current acquisitions that are possibly going to go through for the Braves as far as players. They talk about the farm system and players coming up. They talk about statistics and numbers. Um, They talk about, you know, how much money is left in someone's contract in order when they're becoming a free agent and the option they have and what the Braves should do here and here and what trades are best for the Braves. Um, And, man, they are like, in it um I don't really care that much I just like watching the game of baseball and if the Braves win man that's awesome but if they lose I'm not not down and out but let's say I was one of those people that was so enthralled and so like statistically minded and I'm sitting there saying man you know Ozzy Albies is up and man if if, O2 count they better not throw him a changeup because he's going to crush it because he's got a 97% chance of hitting a changeup O2 count. I mean, the statistics and stati- statisticians inside baseball are absolutely ludicrous. It, it is amazing what they can can find out. But let me get to the point here. So earlier I said you could go get a jersey, right? So I have all this history of the Braves. I can remember standing in Fulton County Stadium and watching them build Turner Field, right? So I have that. Um, I have – I, I was with them, you know, watching them when they won a championship or a World Series. And now I could grow up. I go to the, their new stadium, their third stadium now, and I could take my kids and, and show my kids who they are. And I remember actually just a couple of years ago, about three years ago, we went to a game and I was sitting there and uh, the Braves were down uh, two runs and it was the bottom of the seventh and there was two outs and there's two men on and Freddie Freeman comes up and I <laughs> – a lady stood up right in front of me right as a pitch was made, and I just, without knowing it, ex- like yelled, like, this is the time you're going to stand up. This is the most important at-bat of the entire game. And she, like, looked at me, and my wife hit me, and I was like, oh, I can't believe I just said that out loud. <laughs> but she apologized, and she sat down, and the very next pitch, Freddie Freeman hit a home run in order to put the Braves ahead, and they ended up winning the game, and we went crazy. Um, it was amazing. Um, but so now I have all this history and I know all these statistics and all that. So let's say last year they won the world series, right? Let's say that when it was time for each of the players to receive their ring, their championship ring, and let's, 
let's equate that to salvation, okay? They they are standing in judgment and they're getting their ring because they have they have done well done, my good and faithful servant, right? That's what all the Braves players want to hear. And they get their ring. Imagine somehow I got into the stadium and I went down there and I had my jersey on. It has my name on my back. And I go up and I'm standing there and go to the general manager. And he looks at me and he's like, who are you? And I'm like, man, I'm here to get my ring. And he's like, what ring? And I'm like, man, I'm on the team. I like, like, do you not know me? How do you not know me? My name's M.A. Dozier. Like, look, I got a jersey. And he's going to look at me and go, man, I never knew you. I, I don't know you. And he's going to have security escort me out. And as security's escorting me out, imagine me sitting there going, man, like, when I was seven years old, y'all won the World Series, and I can remember standing on the stadium and watching you build Turner Field, and, and man, I, I've grown up loving you guys and watching you guys, and, and you know, when, when y'all weren't doing so well, y'all were just winning divisions, but you weren't winning World Series, like, it's okay, I stuck with you, like, I defended you, like, a bunch of these fans were, like, Fairweather fans and Bandwagoner fans, and, you know, when things got tough, they just left, but, man, I stuck around, like, I was here, I was cheering for you, I was letting you know, like, I come, I spend money. I come to the stadium about once or twice a year. Let's equate that to going to church. Um, and I was here and, and man, you know, when you, when you let Freddie Freeman go last year, you know, after the world series, like a lot of people like were mad at you and, and yelled at you and said that you were making a mistake, but look, I defended you like, yeah, Freddie's great and all that, but man, now we got Olsen and he's going to be great. And I, I did all these things for you. Like I defended you. I, I have a Jersey. I, I did all this. I spent money here. I've spent time here. I, I bring my kids and now they're Braves fans and, and all that. And that general manager is going to look at me and say, I never knew you. I don't know who you are, man. You're not on the team. Because in reality, I had a fake, I would have had a fake jersey. I would have paid someone to put my name on the back, even though it's not real. And so it was a false sense of who was real. And in reality, I did nothing for that team. Yeah, I cheered for them. Yeah, I sat there and spent some money and said, woo, yeah, I support the Braves. But in reality, I did nothing in order to help them win a game. All I did was surface level tertiary things that have no impact on the game itself. And in reality, a lot of us sit behind a TV and watch whatever sports game we want to. And we get so emotional and we get so passionate and we get yelling and we get, you know, frustrated and we get cheerful and joyful. But ultimately those things have nothing to do with them winning the game. And so when it comes to the kingdom of Christ, like, are we actually on the team? Did we actually make the team? And here's the beauty of, of, you know, with the Braves, I'm not skilled enough to make the team. I promise you that there's no way I'm making major league baseball and or the Braves, but the the awesome part about what Jesus says and with his team in the kingdom of Christ is that, None of us are qualified. None of us have to have it all together. It says that he demonstrates his own love toward us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so all he is asking is for our obedience. He's not asking for us to sit in the stands and hoop and holler. He's not asking for us to put on a fake jersey. He's not asking for us to come to defense of him outside of the realm of the of the game. 
He's not asking us to keep an eye on the game and, and know all the statistics and know all the mighty works he's done. He's asking us to be obedient and following him. And when we do that, we receive the authentic jersey in which once that team wins a World Series, we receive the ring. What I find awesome is, is I looked up like, you know, a lot of times we want to talk about Braves players and, and or sports play figures in general, getting rings and uh, winning, winning the World Series. And like, so I was curious, I was like, who gets a ring? And the truth of the matter is, it's not just the players. It's everybody in that organization that gets a ring. Anybody employed by the Braves gets a ring. And that's what I find amazing is, see, you have nine guys on that field that are doing miraculous things and, and hitting home runs and making catches and all that stuff. But what we don't see is the behind the scenes. And so you don't have to be a quote-unquote starting player in order to receive a ring in the kingdom of Christ. But all you have to do is be obedient and actually be on the team. So I looked up who the bullpen catcher was for the Braves, and they have two. One of them's name is Jimmy Leo. Uh, he's a bullpen catcher. And uh, another one's name is Jose Yepes. Have you ever heard those names? I haven't, and I guarantee you haven't. But here's the truth of the matter. Their job their only job is to sit in the bullpen, and when a pitcher needs to get warmed up to go in the game, they sit back there and they just catch the ball and throw it back to the pitcher. Catch the ball, throw it back to the pitcher. They're not coaches. They may give some advice on what they're seeing that day and how the pitcher is doing, but all they do is sit there and catch the ball and throw it back. They get no glory for it. They get no recognition for it. Nobody in the Brave Stadium is walking around with their name on the back of the jersey. There's no ESPN top 10 for them, but they are doing the work inside and they're being obedient to what God has or what their coach has called them to do. And so we need to be in the same way. We need to be obedient to what God has called us to. And a lot of times it's not being on the starting nine. A lot of times it is literally sitting in the bullpen and just catching a ball and preparing someone else to go out there and make the impact. Maybe our job is to sit on the bench and be the best player we can be and cheer others on, but yet we are still on the team because we are being obedient in what God has called us to do individually. And then maybe one day in our walk, we get the call and they put us into the starting lineup. But until then, we still need to be obedient. And yeah, it's going to be hard and it's going to be tough and we need to ask hard questions. But man, my biggest fear is that one day, when we stand before judgment, we hear, away from me, for I never, never knew you. See, the thing about Jimmy Leo, the bullpen catcher, is that we on the outside say, who is Jimmy Leo? We have no clue who he is. We have no idea. But when they received their World Series rings, he stood in line. And when he got to the general manager, the general manager said, here you go, Jimmy. Thank you so much. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And he received a ring. But yet, we would not because we weren't on the team. So that's something to think about today. And here's my prayer for you as men, as husbands and fathers, is that we get beyond the acknowledgement of Jesus as Savior and Lord, and we begin to submit our lives and surrender to him and be obedient to what he is calling us individually to do. Because the worst thing 
the most terrifying thing that I could hear at judgment is, away from me, for I never knew you. Y'all stay humble, you stay focused, and let's keep pressing forward. Have a great week. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you would like to learn more about the ministry of Nimrod Outdoors, find us on Facebook or look us up at nimrodoutdoors.com. We hope you have a great day and we hope to see you next time.